Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Welcome to From the Ground Up. This is a mini-sode. So what we are doing is we'll probably do an hour or two of us speaking with Ian Bissell from S&J Reptiles. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to kind of explain to you how this episode is going to work. But uh, Port City Python shirts available on portcitypythons.com, as well as we have some animals available. We may not be shipping. I mean, it's pretty rough here in Philly, but we can hold those animals for no extra fee. And other than that, that's really all I got. So if you guys don't know, Ian Bissell is a green tree python breeder, but he also inherited the responsibility of kind of putting together Southeast Carpet Fest. So Ian, what is Southeast Carpet Fest? And, you know, what are you guys doing over there? Yeah, thanks, Joe. Uh, Appreciate you having me on to talk about Southeast Carpet Fest. Pretty much... um... Don't let the name be a, a misnomer. It, it's called Carpet Fest, but it's really more of a reptile fest. If you think kind of uh, get together, barbecue, social gathering, uh, more so than trade show, swap, conference, seminar kind of event. But it's it's called Southeast Carpet Fest. It's taking place uh, February 9th at 2 p.m. And this year we're being hosted by Pia and Cody Bartolini in uh, Melrose, Florida at Terrestrial and Arboreal. And uh, it's going to be basically uh, just a a big get-together barbecue. It's an excuse to get out from behind your computer and go meet the folks that you interact with on Facebook or Instagram, social media, and, uh, and, you know, chat about reptiles. So um, the event this year, we've got sponsors um, because uh, the Terrestrial and Arboreal facility is actually primarily a venomous reptile facility. So not exactly, um, you know... Some people may not be as comfortable as others, but, you know, kind of difficult to host it in uh, in the middle of all that. So uh, we've got some some rental party tents coming in and chairs and tables and all that good stuff. So please be careful, everyone. (laughs) Yeah, I want to give them a shout out. So uh, the folks that are sponsoring the 2019 Southeast Carpet Fest include uh, Forrest and Desiree Fanning at Cold Blooded Cafe. Uh, We also got FeederSource.com. We got Robin and the team over at Ship Your Reptiles. And then also the guys over at the Herpticulture podcast. So uh, all of those folks are helping make Southeast Carpet Fest this year possible. So big thank you and shout out to those guys. Awesome. So it looks like you just ramped it up. I mean, last year was the first one, correct? And that one seems, you know, crazy, man. Just the auction and everything involved. Yeah, actually, last year was the second one. So there was one previously a few years prior um, that uh, that was put on, but uh it sort of was a one and done kind of event. And so we resurrected it last year. So I do want to make sure we give shout out and credit to those guys who started it. It was uh, KJ and, uh, and David. So I uh, want to make sure to give those guys credit. But yeah, last year was, was kind of the, the rebirth or the recreation of the Southeast Carpet Fest. How'd you become that guy? You know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of a story. I don't know. I think, you know, it's like George Washington fell asleep at the end of the table. He became president. I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> so I fell asleep or drank too many beers or something. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I, I, do you want me to tell that story now, or you want me to give the rest of the kind of the rundown on the event first? Am I getting you all out of order? We'll get we'll get far out in left field, I guess. So yeah, uh, go over this year's Carpet Fest a little bit more. All right. So uh, like I said, February 9th, 2 p.m. It's going to be in Melrose, Florida. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Melrose, Florida is just outside of Gainesville, Florida. So uh, Pia and Cody live out on five acres kind of out in the, the country. So um, that's kind of the closest city, North Florida, if you're looking for a landmark. But as far as uh, lodging, so uh, Gainesville is kind of the closest place where you're going to get hotels. Um, there's also Airbnbs available in Melrose, Florida, Keystone Heights, Florida, and Gainesville. And then if you're coming in from out of state and you're flying, I know we do have some guys coming in. Uh, Eric Burke is coming in from out of state, Scott Borden, Josh Swensel. Um, so if you're flying in from out of state, the closest airport is actually the Gainesville airport. It's about 25 minutes away. Uh, but it, it is a little more expensive to fly into Gainesville. So a lot of folks are looking at Jacksonville, which is about an hour and a half, or Orlando, which is about two hours away. Um, and then uh, also Friday night, kind of pre-Carpet Fest, we're going to get together probably at one of the local breweries in Gainesville. So again, if you're staying in Gainesville, that's convenient. If you're planning on coming into town early Friday night, just get a hold of me or Pia and Cody or, or one of the other people involved, and we'll clue you in on the details for the Friday night pre-Carpet Fest get-together. And uh, and then also, if you are planning to attend, if you could go onto the Facebook group um, and find this year's event page and just RSVP. We're trying to get a rough idea of people so we have a head count for food and um, we make sure we got enough chairs and all that good stuff. So if, you, if you're going, just if you would, click that you're going. A lot of people have clicked they're interested, but I don't think we're going to have 500 people. So if we could get you just to click, you're actually going if you're going, um, that would really be helpful. And then uh, people have asked, you know, is there, do you have to buy tickets or is there a cost of admission? So you don't have to buy tickets. Um, it is a free event, but there is a cost of admission. And that is you got to sign up to bring something. So um, we actually this year, uh, I've got uh, a new website that we're using that allows us to put it all online. So it's kind of got a big checklist and you go in and you sign up whether you want to bring dessert or appetizers or whatever. So uh, get if you check out the Facebook group or the Facebook event, all the links are there and um, you can go ahead and go there and, and check it out. Uh, Amanda Rua is uh, heading that up and so she's been putting it all together. You can get a hold of her as well. But um, all you got to do is bring something if you're planning on coming and uh, and then just RSVP on the Facebook group. The other big thing about Carpet Fest this year is the auction. And um, a little bit different than we did it last year and a little bit bigger than we did it last year. So last year we did shirts and the auction for US Arc. And uh, this year we did shirts again for US Arc, which those are, have already closed. So if, if you didn't get a shirt, too late, sorry. Um, but we did raise, we sold I think 115 shirts and raised almost $1,500, which uh, beat last year's total. So that all goes to US Arc. And then the auction this year is all to benefit NidoVirus research. So one of the reasons why we're hosting this year at Pia and Cody's facility is because they've been kind of on the leading edge of, of NidoVirus uh, research with uh, the Green Tree Pythons. And so we're hoping to raise a bunch of money. We've got four U.S. research universities identified that we want to send money to to, to kind of jumpstart and accelerate some of the learnings with regards to NidoVirus and Pythons. And so that's why uh, this year's auction is such a big deal. So the auction is live now. 
So the first 66 items are live. The bidding has been going on for about a week and there's going to be two more rounds of items. We last year we had 85 items total this year. It looks like we're already around 150 items. So it's a much bigger group of items to get made graphics and posts and my wife's been working night and day and um, hating every time I tell her that I got another <laughs> item donated or another box shows up at the front door. So we're, we're hoping to get the next batch of items up this weekend. And then there'll be a third batch of items as well. So um, go out, check out the items, bid them up. Like I said, check back often because there'll be more items added. But we've got some just amazing stuff donated this year. Um, I got a bunch of uh, old Chondro kind of historical pieces from Eugene Bissett. So some original wow. nest boxes and original egg jars that he used, um, <laughs> you know, back in the day. And uh, we've got just a ton of vouchers and t-shirts and jewelry. Um, you know, some people went big. Steve Volk donated a thousand dollar voucher towards an Amazon Basin Emerald Tree Boa, yeah. a bunch of $500 vouchers, just all kinds of stuff. We've got a bunch of herb stats have been donated, a bunch of caging, um, there's some cool um, uh, uh, taxidermy stuff that's going to be coming up in the next round. A bunch more live animals have been donated. So so check back and, and bid it up because, like I said, it all goes to a good cause. It's all going to NIDO virus research, and uh, we're, we're really hoping to raise some big dollars this year. Wow, that's crazy. So when does this auction end and kind of uh, can you can you bid in person as well as online? Yeah, so that's the other big change this year. So last year, the auction was an entirely online auction. And then after um, seeing how they do it at the Southwest Carpet Fest and the Northeast Carpet Fest, they both do a live finish. So we decided that that's how we're going to do it this year at the Southeast. So basically, um, all of the bidding is online currently. And then there will be a live finish at the event on February 9th. So you have an incentive to come to the event if you really want an, an item because that the, the people at the event will have the last bid. Um, if you really want an item and you can't make it to the event, you better find somebody to be your proxy bidder who's going to the event um, because basically the live attendee bids will have the, the last chance at all of the items. That's awesome. So if no one uh, has seen yet, I mean, there's a lot of really, really awesome people who have donated, but so you can get a voucher from us for $200. And I think that's at, you know, less than $100. And I mean, there's a bunch of other really cool people from, you know, all throughout Morelia. Like you said, Emerald, if you're into basins and st or Amazon basins, if you want to go that route. I mean, there's so, so much, uh, so many cool things. Yeah. How, what's your record number as far as the auction? What was last year's count? So last year, our total raised at Southeast Carpet Fest last year was twelve thousand dollars. So eleven hundred of that was in shirts, um, and then we had some last-minute donations last year. Let me see. I might be able to pull up the total of just the auction last year was nine thousand eight hundred and fifteen dollars. And as of this morning, the first 66 items were already at around $6,300. So I think, that, <laughs> I think that we're going to break, if we can average 100 bucks an item and we've got 150 items, we're going we're gonna to raise some big, big dollars. Um, we'd really like to raise twenty dollars or, or $25,000 if we could, um, because when you're splitting it four ways between four universities, you really want to give each one a chunk of money to, to do some research and of course, that information is going to benefit the entire community. So there's a ton of really great 
items coming up though and and they're not even all pythons um somebody i think ty parks has donated some more uh lizards i think somebody donated a, a blue tongue skink somebody donated a gecko um there's there's just tons of stuff uh, david brahms has donated a bunch of 3d uh printed art um we've got a bunch of stuff that's come in from triple l and from uh from zoomed we've also got some custom engraved stuff that um the Brian Schaefer from Herp House had made up the, with uh, the Southeast Carpet Fest logo. That's so, awesome. I mean, there's just tons of cool stuff. Rep the Lynx has got some stuff coming uh, in the next round. We've also got some Nidovirus test kits that are going to be in the next round. So the items that are already up are, are actually some really nice items, but there's two more waves of items coming. So that's why I'm telling people just check back often and keep bidding and, um, and come to Carpet Fest and bid the, the live finish. Oh, yeah. You... You know exactly what they are, you know, going to be doing with that money, kind of what, you know, obviously it's being donated to the Nidovirus, but I mean, what is the hope as far as the, you know, captive keeping community and such? Well, you know, I, we're not funding specific research projects, um, but we are, we are funding specific research laboratories that are already working on Nidovirus and pythons or have projects in the pipeline. And so what we're really hoping to do is to answer some of the basic questions around, um, you know, very basic things like what's the best sanitizer to use against this organism? Uh, what's the proper um, uh, methodology for, for quarantining and, and, and those sorts of questions so that we can really understand, um, you know, how do we as a community deal with it? And then maybe the, this type of research answers the questions that then ultimately lead to things like incubation period and transmission and or ultimate answers like vaccines maybe even. But the thing is that you gotta, you gotta crawl before you walk. <laughs> and this virus has only been documented in pythons in particular in green tree pythons for just a few years. And so um, what we really wanna do is answer some of the most basic questions first, but, but jumpstart the research. And maybe this is a multi-year effort so that we can really get to the point that we can answer the questions of not only how do we detect it or, or how do we avoid it, but how do we eliminate it from the com community entirely? Yeah, that's huge. And especially because I'm sure that's not a very sexy subject that gets a lot of funding, you know, elsewhere. So, I mean, we must have to, you know, start something grassroots like this. Yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those things where if we want those answer those questions answered. We have to, it's got to be self-funded from the community. And, um, you know, maybe some of our brethren over in the ball python community will get involved as well, because I know it's a concern in their community. And, um, and really, it affects a whole wide variety of species. Uh, I think it's been documented in some turtles or tortoises and different lizards. So it's not even just a green tree python or Morelia issue. Um, so, you know, as a community, this is a way for us to give back to ourselves by really trying to accelerate the learning and generate some real science. Awesome. Now you scared the shit out of me. So um, <laughs> do you have anything else to add about uh, this year's Carpet Fest? No, uh, you know, all I would say is if you're interested in coming, you should come. Um, I think that one of the things about Carpet Fest is it's a little bit intimidating because of the name. Um, not everybody keeps carpets. As you can see, I don't keep carpets. Um, but a lot of people that, that keep carpets keep other species and it's really more a gathering of reptile people. So um, if you're thinking of coming, come. If you live in the area and you're interested in reptiles and you wanna meet people and get out from behind your computer, come. Um, 
you know, you, you won't be disappointed. You're going to meet a ton of really cool people and, and you're going to have a great time. And then on top of that, you're going to get to see an awesome collection at P and Cody's facility. I guess we can now backtrack to how you became the kind of organizer of Southeast Carpet Fest. Well, so that story actually starts at Southern Carpet Fest 2017. So that's actually when I met you and Melissa for the first time. So um, at, at Bill Stiegel's place. So I had actually, so the, the whole story really goes back to Evan Browder, if you want to be honest. It's really Evan's fault. So if he's listening, maybe he'll call in and he can chime in. But I had been talking to Evan um, quite a bit at the time. I don't know if you guys will remember, but he had a female that was gravid and um, it was his first time breeding green cheese. And so I was talking to Evan frequently, um, if not constantly, um, about this female and you know, he, he needed a lot of help in, in kind of getting through that situation. But anyhow, so I knew that I had a, a business trip coming up to Texas, coming out to Texas, and I reached out to Evan and I said, hey, I'm coming out to Texas and I have some flexibility. If I was going to come out and go to either the Arlington NARBC or this carpet fest thing that you're talking about constantly, um, you know, which should I go to? Like, which would be better? And he's like, oh, hands down carpet fest. Like there wasn't even, I don't even think he took a breath before he answered the question. It was just immediately like definitely carpet fest. I was like, okay. I said, but I don't keep carpets. And he's like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, just come, you're going to have a great time. And so I said, all right. So I, I looked at my schedule and, and it all worked out and I was able to go out and, and actually it was, it was a pretty cool week because I was out there for, for a few days before Carpet Fest for work. And so I got to, uh, to go over and actually check out Evan's place and meet Evan. And then I also got to go hang out with, with Mark Hager and meet him and check out his stuff and meet uh, Tony and Melissa Jerome and check out their place. And then met up with a bunch of people and went to the zoo um, and checked out the facility there, met Jason Brumley and, and, um, and, and just had a great time. And that was all before Carpet Fest. So then I went to Carpet Fest at Bill Stiegel's place and it was just like this huge ruckus party. And I met you and Melissa. I met Matt Minatola. I met Chris Salemi. I met Terry Burwell and Matt Morris and um, Brandon Sanders and, and Eric and Owen. You know, I mean, it was just like, I met all these people that I had only known online and I met all of them in this like short period of time and and it was just a whirlwind of like three four days and and the carpet fest at bill steagles was just a party i mean it was it was two nights back to back up till you know early a.m hours and then uber and it back to the hotel and um and so like i got home from this huge party basically this huge party weekend and i was like you know did you have a good time and i'm like man this party was incredible it was like it went to all hours people are passed out on the couch and Kim Stiegel's taking Brian Phillips keys away. And, you know, there's a margarita machine getting drained multiple times and you and Melissa are in the pool till like three o'clock in the morning. And, and she's like, wow, it sounds like a pretty crazy time. And I said, yeah. And, um, and so then I started thinking like, wow, like, so that was the Southern carpet fest. So I wonder, I heard about all these other carpet fests. I wonder where and when the Southeast carpet fest is. So I go online and I start looking on Facebook and it's like, oh, there was one, I think it was in 2015. And, um, and they just, they, they did it the one time and they never did it again. It was, um, you know, it just, I guess it wasn't a big, big success. And they just decided that they didn't, they didn't want to put the effort to do it multiple times and they didn't get a good, good response. So 
they were like, well, we're just, we're not going to do it again. I was like, well, man, it was such a great time. Like, how could we not have one of those in the Southeast? And really, I was just looking for an excuse to go to another one. And, um, and basically, they were like, well, uh, you know, if, if you want to try to resurrect it, go for it, you know, we'll support you, and we'll help you. But you know, someone's got to I guess, corral the cats or, you know, take the lead. And so I was like, well, you know, maybe we can like put out the word and see at Daytona this year, how many people are interested. And so this was in 2017. And so we like, you know, got some people together on Facebook and we got together in Daytona and it was like, wow, there's, there's a bunch of people here. There was like 10, 15 people showed up and said, yeah, let's, let's do this. This sounds awesome. And uh, so then we just started planning. And from there, it just kind of, it kind of all came together. Dave Palumbo volunteered his place. And, um, and then Bill Stiegel flew in from Texas. And we just got a whole bunch of people involved. And, and it was awesome. And we had a great time. And so this year is looking like it's going to be even bigger. Yeah, that's crazy. So is it true that camping out is an option? Yeah, I didn't mention so if you that. you happen to so, partake in activities yep. beforehand? If you have one or two adult beverages too many, um, apparently there's five acres. You are welcome to pitch a tent. You're welcome to car camp. Um, I guess if it's nice out, you're welcome to sleep on the ground. Um, it is it is North Florida, so it could be a little chilly. But, um, you know, I doubt for those folks that are from out of state, it'll it'll feel like winter. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it'll be winter to us. We'll have our air conditioner off and our windows open. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good time of year to kind of get some of us Northeasterners or even Northwesterners out from from the cold, man. Well, that was kind of the idea when we looked at the calendar and when Southern was and when Tinley is and when Daytona is and when Southwest Carpet Fest. And we figured the best time of year to have a party in Florida is the middle of the winter because who doesn't love Florida in February? You know, it's better than Wisconsin in February. Yeah, that's for sure. So what is like, uh, I mean, obviously it's Florida. So, I mean, really, who could you expect to see at this? Well, you know, I mean, like I said, we've got some people coming in from out of state. And, um, you know, there, last year we had almost 50 people. And I expect that we'll have probably more than that this year. So uh, I don't want to say who's coming for sure and who's not, because then, of course, those people won't come and yeah. you know, last minute. So uh, but I know for sure, like I talked to Eric Burke just recently. He said he booked his ticket. He's coming. I know um, that uh, that Scott Borden's coming down. I think him and his wife are coming. Um, so, you know, there's definitely people coming in from out of state and it'll be a, it'll be a big it'll be a big party. And um Last year, like I said, we had about 50. We're planning for 75 this year. So, Yeah, that's huge. I mean, to think at one point, I wouldn't even be able to fathom like a Morelia-type anything, a gathering, getting 75 people together. Even though it isn't, you know, it's obviously not just Morelia, but still, that's such a... I'm sure Eric and Owen didn't expect that when they first began Carpet Fest. Yeah, I definitely don't think that they expected it. Um, but man, the the one at, at Bill Stiegel's house that year in Texas when I met you and Melissa, I mean, that was a big party. There were a lot of people there, and and the Northeast this past year was was huge. Um, so it's uh, it definitely has grown. And, and then this year in August, there's gonna be a UK carpet fest. Yeah, that's so crazy. It's not international. 
So if anyone, I mean, if you guys don't know, obviously, like Ian said, they're all over the place, but the Northeast one is here in Philly. So now we will be attending that one, which that will be our home carpet fest. Unfortunately, not Southern anymore, but we will check out the OG chapter as they call it. Uh, Northeast carpet fest. Yeah. I really, I really look forward to, to finally getting to that one. Yeah. That was a heck of a party last year. And, uh, that was the first Northeast that I had been to, and, and definitely they, they throw a heck of a party, and it was a good time, and a lot of people from out of state, and uh, who doesn't love a good opportunity to watch Owen shave his beard, too? <laughs> yeah, the interesting bets that go on in the auction, at least it seems like the live auction at Carpet Fest. Yeah, the live auction, uh, I think that was that's a big reason why we incorporated it this year was the shenanigans that go on at a live carpet fest auction, especially once everyone's had a couple of adult beverages is um, it's almost worth the price of admission alone. Cause it's uh, it's, it's almost like a comedy routine. <laughs> Absolutely. So now that we talked all about carpet fest, people know what carpet fest is. Let's talk a little bit of, I mean, obviously last time we had you on, we talked green trees. So if anyone wants to, and I felt like I said that disappointingly, I didn't mean to say that last time we talked about green trees and we talked for like over three hours. So if you ever want to hear us ramble about green trees, check out that episode, but let's get into to some of the other breeding products you have going on. I mean, I know you've been really into uh, Corallis, so let us know uh, what kind of projects you're working with and what species. Yeah, so I've been bit by the Corallis bug pretty pretty bad, um, working with a number of species, uh, either here or in conjunction with some breeding loans that I've got going on with a couple of other guys. I've got some, some Corallis at a couple other facilities around the country, um, up with Keith McPeak in New Jersey and out with Harlan uh, Wall out in Colorado and, and a couple out with uh, Bill Hughes out in Las Vegas. So um, those three guys are really the guys who, uh, who got me into Corallis, probably along with, uh, with Rory out in California and Abby here in Florida. So, um, you know, I had, I had gone the direction of a, a monoculture collection in order to kind of dial in the green trees and, and get to the point that I felt comfortable breeding them consistently. And, um, but then like everybody else, I got the itch for wanting something else or some variety. And, um, and so, you know, my, my collection over the years has always been much more varied and it was really the first time in 30 plus years of keeping reptiles that, that I had just one species. And so I was looking around at what sorts of, other types of snakes in particular, I could keep in similar setups with similar husbandry, with similar temps and similar requirements. And, and obviously the arboreal boas were, were kind of like a natural progression from the green trees. And so, um, you know, most closely being the emeralds, uh, the emerald tree boas. And so those were kind of the first thing that caught my attention. But then as I started learning more about Corallus and looking at the other species of Corallus, I, I just really fell in love with all the variety. So from the emeralds, that was you know sort of the most natural progression with the the green trees. But as I started learning about the other species in the Corallus complex, um, you know I saw black tail tree boas or the Ruschenberg eyes up at Forest Fanning's place, and that's the largest species of Corallus, and those things are, are pretty awesome. And it's like wow, these things are really cool. And then I. Um, I went up and visited Keith McPeak and went out to California and visited Rory and, and saw the 
just the amazing variety in the the hortolanus or the Amazon tree boas. Um, I know you guys have one of those, and just not just the the natural variation, which is pretty amazing in and of itself between Halloweens and bicolors and and yellows and the the heavy patterns. But then you get into some of these other the the calicos and the tigers and the calico tigers and the the tiger leopards and the ligers and the uh, I mean, <laughs> there's not uh, really a liger is there <laughs> so there is rory produced it's a, a tiger oh, leopard no. cross so i guess it's considered a liger amazon tree boa but the just the variety of colors and the you know the color palette in, on the amazon tree boas is almost completely opposite of the green tree pythons you know the, the green trees it's it's white and yellow and black and green and blue with the the amazons it seems like it's all about the the yellow and the red and um and the really even the, the kind of going further down there then into the hypo and then the super form of the hypo which is the leucistic and um when i saw the first uh leucistic at daytona last year i mean that was just it i was like all right so now like i'm totally hooked on amazons i gotta get hypos i gotta try to produce lucy's and uh, i've been talking to abby's ear off about hypos and lucy's and possible hypos and there's so much about the genetics about amazons in particular that's not understood that that just makes it that much more interesting to me and and more um you know more exciting to get into them so so amazon's definitely very very interested but um, there's also the annulatus. I, I, I really like the annulatus a whole lot. And that just kind of happened by happenstance. And, and really that goes back to Carpet Fest at Bill Stiegel's place because I met Terry Burwell there and, um, and just got to talking to him. And God, we were talking about all kinds of things, uh, Central American herbs. And I think he spent some time down in Costa Rica and I had been down there and we were just chit-chatting about all kinds of things. And then, you know, he works with rhino rats and he works with some other cool stuff. And, because of the connection I made with him at Carpet Fest, I ended up getting some annulatus from him. Um, actually, I think it was after the second Carpet Fest when I saw him at the one at Tony Jerome's house. And then when I finally, you know, was able to get a pair from him and hopefully maybe going to get a couple more. And so um, the annulatus are really, really pretty cool. Also, their head shape is, is totally different than an Amazon. It almost looks like a, like a rainbow boa head on an Amazon tree boa body. Um, and they, they do this dramatic color shift day to night, which is really cool. Yeah. So, um, so that's another species that I really like. Um, but Wait, so what no, is uh, what's really this difference between day and night? So a lot of times, like they can be almost like um, like a brown with with black pattern during the day, and then at night they're almost like a like a ghost. It's like like this like whitish silver color. So they, they can like do this dramatic like color shift day to night. Um, I don't have any of the colored annulatus yet, but but I'm hoping to get some of those. I do have a male uh, coming from Tim Morris, uh, hopefully in the spring. Um, unless anyone is coming down from the Maryland area for Carpet Fest, if you're driving, get in touch with me because I might need you to transport a, a an annulatus down for me. But just give me gas money, man. Just give me gas money. We're going. That would be the all most right. expensive shipping cost of all time. Yeah, you and okay. Melissa, you guys should drive down from Philly for Carpet Fest. And for Carpet Fest, to my annulata. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, it's too cold to ship it right now. So, um, but that's another species where I don't think the genetics are quite worked out. And, um, you know, 
as far as the relationship between the color and the parents and the offspring and some of the colored enyelatas are just unbelievably phenomenal looking. And so uh, another species that's just not very well represented in the hobby. And I think that's the cool thing, the Ruschenbergeri and the annulatus, there's, there's not a lot of people working with those. There's just not a lot of them here. And, um, and then with the Amazons, it's just all about the variety. It's, uh, you know, the, the difference of the phenotypes that you can see in the Amazon tree boas is, is equal, if not greater, to the differences in phenotype that you see in the green tree pythons. And so it's, it's very similar in that regard and, um, and probably why I'm sort of addicted to both of them at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's at least slightly less confusing genetically with some of the Amazon stuff, but the the annulates, I didn't even know that those come in like color phases or what's the color palette? Is it like Amazon tree boas, the Russian burger eye and the annulates? So the Russian burger eye, you know, the, it seems like the majority of the ones that are here in the U.S. come from Costa Rica. And so most of them have a very similar phenotype. Um, you know, there's some variation, but... They're black on the tail, hence the name. And then they can have a variety of, you know, patterning. And some of them have more or less yellow or whitish color to them as they go more towards the head. My understanding is there's some that come out of Venezuela that look a lot different, that have a lot more orange to them. Um, and then apparently the, the Holy Grail uh, Ruschenberger eye, which I've never seen in person. I've seen some pictures. I think Nick Mutton might be the one who had some at one point from Trinidad, Tobago. They're, they're almost like a golden yellow. They're, they're just unbelievable looking. And they have a lot less black, a lot less pattern. And they're, they're, so there is some variety. I don't know if it's quite as dramatic in the Ruschenberger eye as, let's say, in the Hortolanus. Um, and then with the Annulatus, there's, there's definitely a lot of variety there. I've seen some that are more like this brownish color, some that are more of a silver gray, some that are almost jet black, some that are an orange, and then some that are almost like red. So quite a bit of variety. Um, and then I think, you know, different degrees of patterning on those as well. But I, I just haven't seen a whole lot of those. And, and to be honest, I'm just getting into those. So I'm not really the expert to speak to that. But uh, the ones that I've seen, whether they be in different people's collections or, or in there's quite a few in some AZA facilities. It seems like there's there's so, some variation, um, but maybe not as dramatic as, as there is in you know in the full range because I don't think they're very well represented. And are you getting your hands on captive, born and bred animals in the U.S. or are you still relying on imports as far as those species go? So, right now I only have a, a very small group of annulatus, and like I said, the. The, the one pair that I got a while back came from Terry Burwell. So those are both cap, U.S. captive bred. And the, uh, the, the male that I'm getting uh, in the spring is coming from Tim Morris. So that one's also captive bred. So right now all my annulatus are U.S. captive bred. The Ruschenbergeri, uh, right now actually the adults that, um, that I'm working with are actually up at Keith McPeak's place in New Jersey. And those are actually U.S. captive bred adults. Um, those were produced by Eli Carlton, I think is his last name. He's also, I think he's up in New Hampshire. And uh, the Ruschenberger I have here are actually offspring from those. So um, Keith likes to make the joke that, um, you know, when we've got these breeding 
breeding loans. I send animals up to him, and, and then he likes to joke that he breeds them. I have to feed them. So uh, he sent the babies down to me. And uh, those have actually been, been kind of challenging to get to started, uh, almost more like conjures than, than some of the other corrales. But the, so the Ruschenbergeries and the Annulatus that are here are all U.S. captive born and bred. Oh, wow. So what, I mean, what's the difference? Uh, what are you scenting with and what are you trying to get going with these guys? So the with the Ruschenbergerai, yeah. So I've tried, you know, a lot of my normal conjure tricks: um, live pinkies, frozen thawed pinkies, chick down. Uh, none of that seemed to really work too well in the beginning, and so then, ironically, um, I happened to have some uh, basilisk eggs that were hatching out. So. Um, you know, for those of your listeners who don't know, I live in, in South Florida. We have a huge population of exotic lizards in South Florida. And a common occurrence is for us to find, we call them mystery eggs, uh, out in our raised garden bed. So my kids were out back and we were, I think, planting pumpkins or tomatoes or something. And the kids dug up a bunch of eggs. And so I often, they'll just stick them in a deli in the garage and see if they hatch. And a lot of times they actually do, but we don't know what they're going to be until they hatch. So they typically are either basilisks or curly tails or Cuban nitinoles. So, um, so these happen to be basilisks, and there were about a half a dozen of them. And so I thought that seeing as those were at least captive hatched and they hadn't eaten anything, so they wouldn't have any parasites. And they come from the same place as Ruschenberger. I've seen both of them in Costa Rica when I've been down there. So I thought that might be a natural prey item for them. So I thought, well, I've got them. I might as well take advantage of the opportunity. Um, and there were only three of these little rushis, uh, and it turned out only one of them ate a basilisk, which um, was kind of disappointing, to be honest, but uh, was also surprising. So it was kind of a, a little experiment that I did. But uh, so I got one of them initially to eat a, a basilisk, and then unfortunately, all of my other scenting tricks just didn't work with them. And so what my last resort oftentimes is going to be a live lizard. And so, again, living in South Florida, I've got access to brown anoles and house geckos. So it seemed brown anoles seemed to be what they really liked. So at this point, um, I had three of them. I had one that took a basilisk and then took, I think, one or two lizards. And then I got it onto pinkies. And then I had another one that took a pinky, then took an anole, then took a pinky and a pinky. And that one's now going on pinkies. Then I've got one holdout that's eaten like four or five anoles and just this week, I got it to take a pinky head for the first time. So I think I'm kind of getting over the hump with them. And maybe they'll be all on pinks from here on out. And then um, we'll just have to panicure them for, for any potential internals at some point when they're a little bit bigger. But they definitely seem to be keyed in on um, on the anoles. And I tried geckos as well. Um, kind of mixed results there, too. I think I had one that ate a gecko and one that didn't eat a gecko. And um, anoles seemed to be what they were they were wanting for whatever reason. So... Um, but looks like uh, got them almost switched over to pinks at this point. Wow. So, yeah, there's a Florida perk for you. Just getting lizards from all, all types of lizards. But uh, that, I guess the kids didn't mind. Um, no, that's, that's a whole story in and of itself. So there were there were six eggs that the kids dug up, and um, and so I incubated the six eggs, and all six of them hatched. And so I was really kind of in a – a quandary there because they're they're not native so i don't really want to release them um 
and the kids didn't want me to put them in the freezer necessarily. And um, I didn't want to end up with six new basilisk lizards as pets either. So I, uh, my kids love the snakes and they understand the, the circle of life and the, the, the everything eats something. So I made a deal with them. And the deal was that they could, they could keep three of them um, and we would find them a new home um, with friends or pet shop or whatever. And I could have three of them to feed to the snakes. So that was the initial <laughs> deal was we would split them in half. And, and I thought that was pretty good and they were understanding. And so I had three baby Rushis and I was allotted my three basilisks from the clutch. And so one of them ate right away. And then I had these other two. And when I was checking on the other two, they're just in like a baby rack. So I was pulling the drawers open and one of them escaped. And, um, and then like, you know, it jumped out, jumped on my shirt, jumped on the floor, ran under some cages. And then I'm down there with the flashlight and it ran, it somehow squeezed into a crack, like under the baseboard and got into the wall basically. And it was gone. Like there was, I, uh, I couldn't, no. I couldn't even <laughs> see it, let alone retrieve it. And so then I was really in, in a pickle because it was the next morning. So the kids had already gone to school. I was like, well, sometimes a lot, a lot of my experience when, when I've had to resort to feeding live lizards is it, it doesn't always happen right away, right? Like, you know, you put a live mouse in and, and typically it's a pretty quick reaction or at least overnight. Sometimes with a live lizard, at least my experience with the chondros, is sometimes it actually takes them two or three days until they're able to successfully wow. hunt that lizard even in that little tub because the lizard knows what's going on. The lizard's, you know, trying to get away from the snake and sometimes it doesn't happen the first night. Sometimes you got to wait the second or third night. So I was like, well, damn, now I've got one tub with a baby Roushi and I'm short a baby basilisk, but there's three in the other room that I've allotted to the kids. So when they were at school, I took one of those and put it in the third tub and thought, well, like maybe they would all have to explain to them what happened. And then they came home that I had done that and that I needed to tell them right away before they went and checked on them. And next thing, my daughter's screaming that they're missing one and what happened to it. And so then I had to negotiate and bargain. And um, in the end, since only one of the Roushis would eat one and I had one escape, we still ended up with four. So I still, the allotment was still in their favor. And then ultimately we had to find new homes for those four um, because they weren't allowed to stay here. And then we did find the missing basilisk my wife found it about two weeks later and it was all crinkly and dried up so oh um, yeah unfortunately so um we did lose a basilisk so i can't say nothing was harmed in the making of this story because (laughs) at least one basilisk was eaten and one basilisk dried up and was found well those are probably pretty good odds for if they hatched out in the wilds wild so i mean i think it's all still one but at least six less evasive lizards in South Florida. There you go. Now you we just did gotta... our part. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you got a little bit more to do there in Florida. There may be a couple more things out there. Yeah. You know, we've got, we've got just got so many exotics here. I mean, we've got just in our yard alone, we've got bufo toads. We've got Cuban tree frogs. We've got curly tail lizards, brown basilisks, brown anoles. Cuban nightingales, green iguanas, um, red-eared sliders. I mean, those are all exotics that we have just in our yard. Where, where are you, Orda, by the way? So we're in like uh, Palm Beach, West Palm Beach area. So that's like, that doesn't mean too much to me, but that's okay, like so- south though. 
obviously yeah, so we're, we're just a little bit north of miami so southeast okay. florida so we're considered subtropical um so as the crow flies it's only maybe 50 or 60 miles south to miami where we are so we're not far from where uh president trump vacations at mar-a-lago Oh, very nice. We're not in that nice. No, that's on what's called Pompey's <laughs> Island. We're not on the yeah. island. We're on the mainland. You <laughs> didn't get onto the Pompey. island? We're probably not going <laughs> to on the island. <laughs> so, so talking about Florida, I mean, obviously you've done a lot of traveling outside of Florida. If anyone follows you anywhere, they know that you post these random pictures that really awesome collections from seemingly all over the country. So... How did this kind of come to be, and whose collections have you gone to recently? I've had the chance to to visit a number of uh, of cities around the country and a number of collections. Certainly, um, some of the highlights would have to be uh, Rory out in California. His uh, his Amazon collection is just is just second to none. Um, probably seeing the the bull and I and the emeralds and the Amazons and, and other corrales that Keith's working with. That's, I mean, I, I've never held a bull and I before touched one. And that was, that was pretty cool to see them up close. Um, probably also Forrest Fanning's place, Indianapolis, uh, just amazing diversity of, of his collection between the Abronia and the crocodilians um, and the chondros, the emeralds, the, the monitors, croc monitors, I mean, it's just wow. unbelievable all the stuff he's got. He's got turtles. His collection's pretty amazing, and um, you know his handle on uh, Instagram is Zoo Dreams, and his place really is like a zoo. So, um, other highlights: Bill Hughes' place in Las Vegas, Sanzinia. We didn't even talk about Sanzinia at all. Uh, but, yeah, uh, he's got Sanzinia, and um, that that's that's a whole nother. We might have to save that one for another episode. But um, <clears throat> I think some others. Um, David Hastings out in California, also really cool collection of uh, jungle carpets and some of the the smaller little pythons. I, I think he's working with like the Spotteds and the Stimsonides and the the Antaresia and, and some of that stuff. Cape Yorks, it's just some some really cool stuff he's got. Um, Gary Scavino's got a really cool collection. Condros also. John Martin, another really cool guy with a lot of cool stuff. Uh, basins and emeralds and amazons he had uh ruffies um gonna see eric and owens collections that also was really cool because they always talk about everything um on the show so getting to see their collections and uh how they've got things set up um rocky gravely in georgia getting to see his collection some of the i mean that's some legendary chondro blood there uh also uh who else uh ty keys ty and rachel North of Indianapolis, they've got a pretty awesome collection. David Newman up in Chicago. I mean, just so many people that I've gotten the chance to visit. And what's really cool is, um, you know, the common thread is that they all keep similar types of animals, but they all do it different. And so what's so cool is getting to see the subtle differences of, you know, how they do it based on just the climate of where they are or, um, you know, the, the part of the country or the type of animals or the type of caging or just who they learned it from, you know, it just, it's, it's amazing to see that diversity in terms of, um, you know, the, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, I guess. And so it seems like I, I always learn something no matter where I go. And sometimes it's something very small. Like I remember 
it was such an aha moment for me when I was at Rocky Gravely's place and he showed me these little tiny cable clips he uses to hold the the probe uh, for his thermostat in place and you know they're like 20 for two dollars at home depot or something and i walked by probably a million times and never noticed like hey i could use that for my reptile cages so it was just such an awesome little tip and learning that i redid all my cages behind me and re you know changed the way that i had done the pros previously i'd always attached some of the perch and it was always such a pain to take the perch out so it's it's just learning little things along the way whether it's the technique of doing something or the way they have their cages or the way that they do some aspect of their husbandry um and then it's just also seeing animals that are incredibly legendary um you know dave d's place out in denver I, just blew me away i mean the the blue stuff he's working with is just unreal um the the thing about all the travel and getting to see the collections is the number of pictures i have that i haven't even gone through yet is actually astounding i've got <laughs> pictures from matt minatola's and gary's and forest and dave d's that i've never even posted because i just haven't had the time to go back and edit them um another pretty cool stop uh bushmaster getting to meet cam and uh check out uh the bushmaster place uh that was that was really cool that was I was kind of geeking out about that one a little wow. bit. I've to, heard not to too him. many people like go to his facility because isn't it like at his house? Yeah, you know, um, I was very lucky. He was extremely gracious. And uh, part of it was picking up a bunch of shirts for the, the Carpet Fest auction. And so uh, it just happened to the stars aligned on that particular day that he had a few minutes and I was able to stop in there and... Um, it actually, he was kind of in between shipments, I guess. So there wasn't a huge amount of animals there. What was there was cool to see, but it was really just more about just getting to meet him. So, um, you know, I, I totally geeked out about that and, and got to, to meet the man. And you just hear so much about Cam and Bushmaster. So that was kind of cool. Absolutely. And, um, Especially for a Chondro guy. I feel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't even think he had any Chondros when we were there. Maybe he had a few, actually. I think he had probably more emeralds than chondros the the particular day that we stopped by, but um, just but as yeah. well, yeah, yeah. But just to shake his hand and have him tell a few stories while we were there about you know the business was was really cool. It's also cool to get to to go to a lot of zoos and 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 shops or uh, stores too. You know, I've been to visit Ari at the zoo down there and um, uh, getting to go to the Bronx Zoo as well and, and do a little behind the scenes there. Uh, and then checking out, there's there's a lot of really cool reptile stores around the country. I've been to, um, uh, let's see, the Amazon uh, reptile shop out in California and DFW Reptarium in Dallas. And um, so I'm trying to think of some of the other stores around the country. The um, Oh, the East Bay Vivarium in Northern California. So, you know, it's just cool, like, when I, when I travel, a lot of times I'm, I'm busy working all day, but in the evening, I'm just sitting in a hotel room. So if I plan things right, I can oftentimes I can work all day and then play all night, I guess, so to speak, and <laughs> hit up a pet shop and then maybe go check out someone's collection. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's cool. Um, it, it, it's, it kind of breaks up the work and it allows me to see other people's collections and to learn uh, the differences in the way that they keep things that I keep. And oftentimes I'm able to incorporate some of that into the way that I keep animals and, and just getting to network with people, you know, it, we, we spend so much time behind our keyboards and 
some of these people we chat with all the time and we're liking posts and seeing what they're doing and following along their projects, but to actually get to meet them and hang out and check out their animals and check out their setup. It's, it's just a whole nother aspect to the hobby that, that makes it really interesting for me. Yeah. I feel like at this point, if it wasn't for us, like talking with everyone, meeting with everyone, traveling to things like this, like, and talking to like-minded people, like, I don't even know if we'd be doing this anymore if it was just us in a random room and we didn't talk anyone, you know, about it and the community around it is so, you know, there's so many inspiring people and then as well as just awesome animals and there's always another awesome person with an awesome animal pumped up to tell you about it, you know? Yeah, well, you know, like normally you go to a, a party or get together or a barbecue or something and you're the one reptile person there, right? You know, like, yeah. we're like, oh, like, go talk to Ian. He's got snakes at his house. It's so creepy. <laughs> and then um, you start from, like, negative five, yep. like, at a level to where you got to, like, defend yourself first for right. a certain amount of time. Yeah, and the first, build question, down, you know? the first question they ask you is, oh, are any of them poisonous? And you, you just roll your eyes. And you're like, oh, God, like, here we go again. <laughs> but you go to something like uh, Carpet Fest or, or a Tinley show or – NARBC show, uh, just Pomona, like that was just a couple weeks ago, any of those. And now all of a sudden you're in a room with hundreds of other reptile people and they're not going to ask you, oh, are any of your snakes poisonous? And so it, it just, it's, it adds a whole other aspect to the hobby. And I think part of it is, is also just that connecting with other people and learning from them because uh, it's one thing to exchange information online. And I think that it, it helps us as keepers and breeders immensely. And you think about the sort of, sort of the giant's shoulders that we stand on as keepers today and the information that they had or the limited information or lack of information they had back then, the lack of communication. And so we're, we're sort of spoiled with what we have today. So I just think it's, it's important to make that personal connection with people and to learn from them. And it doesn't have to always be behind a keyboard by text message or instant messenger, or, um, you know, Instagram or whatever. There's, there's just so much more to it to actually go see it. And there's just, there's, when you're in someone else's snake room, you, if you have a keen eye, you can't help but learn something. It could just be the way that they mount something or some trick that they use. Like I remember John Martin has this cool device that he built that um, is mounted on the wall so he can stick his perches in there and it holds the perch and it's like universal. Any size perch works because he's got different diameter perches. And I was like, that is just amazing. I'm always fiddling with a snake in one hand and trying to clean the tub with the other. And um, you just learn so many things by looking at the way that people do it. And, uh, and like I said before, there's so many different ways to keep these animals. So I just really enjoy having that chance to learn from other people and it helps me refine the way that I keep things here. Absolutely. So how many carpet fests altogether have you gone to? Have you hit everyone yet? So I hit all of the 2018 carpet fests. However, there was <laughs> no Northwest carpet fest last year, uh, but, I, but I hit all of the 2018 ones and the UK carpet fest has yet to happen. So that one wasn't even in existence last year. So, but I did last year hit the, let's see, the Southeast, the Southwest, the Southern, the Northeast, and what Owen and Eric called the unofficial Midwest, which is the Tinley show. So that would be four carpet fest in Tinley. So five. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, and that's on top of traveling for work. 
Oh yeah, that was oh I I probably flew seventy or eighty flights last year. So Well, yeah. I think you I remember you flying out for business for Southern Carpet Fest. Yeah, I have a couple of clients in the Dallas area that I have to go see at least a few times a year. So um coincidentally it just sometimes matches up. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. So, so are you any chance of going to UK? I don't think so. Probably not this year. Um, it's a possibility maybe in the future, but this year it, it's in August and August is tough because you've also got the Daytona show in August. Um, and it's also when my kids go back to school. So it's, um, it's kind of a tough time of year for me to get away for that kind of trip because, well, to go to UK Carpet Fest would be not just like a weekend somewhere. It would be... You know, you'd have to go for, for a little bit longer than that. So unless for some reason for work, I have to go to Europe in August, which I don't <laughs> foresee happening. Um, never say never. You never know. Uh, but probably not. But I, but they did invite me to come on uh, Reptiles and Chill. So I'll have to see how that goes. They um, Those guys are, are pretty ruckus uh, Brits. I don't know if you guys caught that video that they did of... Uh, them training for carpet fest they were teasing eric and owen if you haven't seen it, um, stuff man those are some large men yeah if you haven't seen it you <laughs> should you should go get that clip uh joe and post it up in the comments for this so that way people can can enjoy that but uh they 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 posted a funny clip kind of teasing eric and owen about uh you know not being able to hang at their carpet fest yeah, they're having some type of beer fest US versus UK. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's hilarious. I want to see who's going to get the boot. Well, you know Eric's going to be alone, so I mean, I will just pray for him. Well, there was some talk about like, you know, do they eat hobbits over there type of thing. <laughs> I mean, those dudes savages, I don't know. I don't know what will happen to the poor little guy. Hopefully he comes back to one piece. Yeah. One piece. We need a uh, live from UK Carpet Fest NPR episode. That would be awesome. Or a Reptiles and Chill episode, either way, if it were live. Because I think Eric and Owen have sworn off live episodes at events. They did one at ICAST a few years ago, and apparently it um, it was problematic. So uh, I don't know. But I'm sure those guys over in the UK, if they're listening, they, I'm sure they could rig something up. But that would be really cool to, to get a live feed. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised that hasn't happened at, at more things like that. You know, we don't really – it's hard to bring uh, – like we use a desktop computer and everything. I don't know. We need like a Zoom recorder. We should do like live from Tinley's and live from Carpet Fest and live from this and that. That would be awesome. Well, really you guys will be at Northeast this year, right? Yeah, but also I feel I feel weird just being like, you know, it would be weird if I'm like, hey, Eric, I'm going to do a live podcast from your house. <laughs> I, th- I think he'd be down with it. I think, I think cool. Eric needs to do a live podcast from his house. Well, Eric spends his whole carpet fest in his snake room showing people the snakes. That's true. I think that's also a thing is that you are kind of sacrificing, even if it is just like two hours, you're sacrificing that time just to like bullshit, uh, talk to different people, you know, see the collection. And it's almost like you have to do something that's totally not focused on all the amazing things going on at carpet fest. 
and you have to like talk into a computer screen. It's awesome to share it, but I don't know. Maybe we'll do like a, a video or something. I don't really know. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things about Carpet Fest is it's about bringing all these people together that are normally behind a screen. So it's one of those things you really got to kind of live in the moment and enjoy it and take it in, uh, you know, not be sitting there doing a show the whole time. But I think it would be cool to do like maybe like little video clips. Uh, I might try to do some live streaming maybe when I'm there. I haven't really played around with that too much, but maybe I'll try to do that at Southeast if I can figure it out. But uh, yeah, I think that would definitely be cool to, to check it out from the UK side. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So anything else to add on Southeast Carpet Fest? Maybe just go over the main details again. And then why the hell aren't you there if you live within three states of Florida? Get there. Yeah, so pretty much the details. February 9th, 2 p.m. at Terrestrial and Arboreal Facility in Melrose, Florida hosted by Pia and Cody Bartolini and sponsored this year by Forrest and Desiree Fanning at Cold-Blooded Cafe, feedersource.com, stripyourreptiles.com, and the Herpticulture Podcast. The auction is live now. Go bid, bid, bid. First 66 items are live currently. Batch two of items should be out over the weekend. And batch three will probably be out in about another week or so after that. If you're coming, make sure you RSVP on the event page in Facebook on Facebook and join the Facebook group for Carpet Fest. And be sure that you check out the list in terms of stuff that you got to bring. Your admission to the event is you must bring something. Um, other than that, if you need other information, just get a hold of Pia or myself. And um, that's pretty much about it. And then your S&J contact information? Yeah, so if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on social media. Um, we're on Instagram, SJ underscore reptile. We're on Facebook, S&J reptiles. Uh, we also have a website, sjreptiles.com. But we're pretty active on all the Facebook groups, and you can find us Facebook, Instagram. And, uh, yeah, just reach out, follow us, and uh, hopefully we will see you at Southeast Carpet Fest on February 9th. Sweet. You have you do you have chondro eggs cooking this time of the year? Unfortunately, I do not have chondro eggs cooking currently. We do have some pairs together. I don't know if you can see behind me, uh -huh. but uh, we do have some pairs together, and uh, hopefully, we will have some chondro eggs cooking before too long. We do still have some animals from 2017 available, just a couple. We've got, I think, one Amazon tree boa available and a few other uh, random surplus holdback males from 2016 and 2015. So if you're looking for U.S. captive born and bred chondro, we do have some stuff available. And that's all posted on our Facebook page. So um, check it out on Facebook. We've got a whole currently available album or shoot me a message on Instagram and I'll point you in the right direction. Sweet. And as for us, we are poorcitypythons.com, poorcitypythons, Instagram, Twitter, I guess. We don't really use Twitter, YouTube. You know where to find us. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Ian, for coming on. And uh, we will see you next Monday.